Thank you so much for that, Barbie. I think that's the first time we've heard her sing here. That's uh, Debbie Nerdlinger's daughter, and uh, what a wonderful, what a wonderful tribute to God there. His grace still amazes me. Well, we are glad to have you here today. This is our Mission Sunday. We have one every year around this time, and we're so excited today about representing these missionaries that you've met just recently. And uh, today we have a special speaker today, Brian Baker. Brian Baker has not a stranger to us here at Triad. He's been here before years ago. He worked here 17 years in the North Carolina area as a missionary for Word of Life. And he is passionate about the next generation. He has committed his life to it. And we got to know him during those 17 years. And then uh, he moved from North Carolina up to New York and became the vice president of Word of Life Institute and also uh, the Word of Life camps up there. It's a camp that I've been to several times as a teenager, an incredible ministry up there, a large ministry across the country from that one place in New York. And so we are so glad to have him here today. His wife, Lynn, is not here today, but uh, he's here to represent the Word of God and represent missions for us today. So come and challenge us today, Brian. Thank you for being here today with us and sharing your heart. It is great to be with you. It's a privilege. It's been a few years since we have been back, and so it is always wonderful to come back to North Carolina. As uh, Pastor Rob said, we spent 17 years here. So I was born and raised in Illinois, so I was a Midwesterner, and then the Lord moved us to North Carolina, and so I got a good dose of the South, and then he moved us to New York. So I am just confused when it comes to how I'm supposed to talk and so you're going to hear some y'alls, you're going to hear some other things that who knows what comes out of my mouth as far as uh, dialect this morning, um, but uh, it is just a joy to be back. I'm, I'm sorry that my wife could not be with me. Uh, we have, uh, we're moving to, we're getting closer to a different stage of life. We now have a daughter in her 20s who just got married this summer, and uh, our twins who are 17 years old are in their senior year of high school. And that's hard to believe, a son and a daughter that are, that are uh, in their senior year of high school. And so she doesn't get to travel with me much yet because uh, of them. But uh, in another year, uh, Lord willing, we're going to ship them off to school and, and then she can be with me a little bit more. And uh, I, I, many of you maybe experienced uh, that. And so you can pray for us as we go through the the beginning stages of empty nest syndrome. I, I know you're like, oh no, it's, when they go to school, that's not empty nest yet because they, they usually come back, right? So um, we're, we're working through that. But it is, it is a joy to be with, with you this morning. I bring greetings from Scroon Lake, New York, where it was chilly this morning here, right? I, you, did you all do that for me? Um, just want me to feel at home with a 50 degree morning? Well, it was, it was 34 at my house when... Um, um, when my family woke up this morning, so it wasn't quite as chilly uh, here as it was there, but um, I bring you greetings. We are just excited about what the Lord is doing through the ministry of Word of Life, and so as you have your Bibles this morning, I'd invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 2, and as you're turning there, um, just to give you a couple of updates, and and then we'll jump right in this morning. Word of Life is now ministering in 81 countries around the world and with 1,600 missionaries serving in those 81 countries. And it's been a joy and a privilege. One of those countries is Ukraine. And so the Lord has been 
working through our team in Ukraine to provide and the kind of transition. We really, we're really not uh, set up to be more of a humanitarian ministry, uh, but we kind of became that in the moment and providing aid and, and uh, food and supplies for people in Ukraine and actually doing some remote camps in that area now. People can't come to our property, but we're taking them taking camps to where they are, and so it's exciting to see how the Lord is, is using our team there. It was a scary time. It's actually our anniversary, February 24th. My wife and I were getting ready to go to lunch together for our anniversary when, when I read the news of what was going on in Ukraine that day, and um, I know that many are, are still praying, and as we think of missions, sometimes here in the United States, we we hear about something, something happening in another country, and then when the news stops talk about it, we stop thinking about it. Um, and it's not stopped over there. I think you know that. So please, please keep praying, many brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine that are, that are struggling and suffering, uh, as, even as we uh, speak this morning. But as we are in Exodus chapter 2 this morning, I want you to just think about over the last two and a half years, Have you used any of the following words to either describe your life or maybe just the world that we live in today? Maybe words like crazy, unpredictable, frightening, unstable, uncertain, who knows, frustrating, infuriating, or maybe to sum it up, you've just used this word, chaos. Have you used any of those words in the last two and a half years? I know I have. Who knows? What's going to happen today or tomorrow? We make plans. Who knows? Especially a couple of years ago, we would make plans. Who knows if we actually get to carry out those plans? Who knows if we get to go here or do this? We've lived in a a crazy world, a chaotic world. And I'm sure you could give me other words that you have used to describe your life or describe the world that we've been living in for the last two and a half years but they would probably all be similar uh, to the words that I just described to you. As we're in Exodus chapter 2 this morning, a little over a year ago, I developed and taught a a series of four messages on the life of Moses. And in in the process of doing that, I did a lot of study, read several books on Moses, and did a lot of study uh, for several months. And, And as I was doing that study, I... I thought that what was happening was that the Lord was giving me this information so that I could share it with other people that it might impact their lives. Uh, But what I found out about, oh, four months after I initially delivered this series of messages is that the Lord had not prepared that for other people How many times do we think that, right? But actually, I found out the Lord had me go through that process for me. It it wasn't the people sitting in the chairs or the pews listening to those messages who needed to hear what I had prepared and what he had done in my heart through that series of study, but it was me that needed it. it. It was my life that needed to hear and be prepared for what I was learning during that time. And so, as we, and before we get into the text this morning, one thing that really stuck out to me as I studied the scriptures around Moses' life was this phrase, and I'll use it again later, and that is that Moses' story does not begin with Moses, it begins with God. 
And as you think about the life of Moses, it really isn't about Moses at all. And actually, as you go all throughout the Scriptures and we read about the people that God uses in the Scriptures, it's really not about the people at all, is it? It's about God. And so Moses' story doesn't begin with Moses. It begins with God. And we'll see this a little bit later this morning. Before we read our text together this morning in Exodus chapter 2, let's do just kind of a brief synopsis and bring us up to this point of what's been happening uh, prior to what we're going to read this morning. So God founds the nation of Israel through, uh, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God gave Jacob a new name, which is Israel, right? And Jacob has 12 sons, which will become the 12 tribes of Israel. We're going to very, go through this very fast. Joseph was one of those sons, and Joseph was a tremendous man of integrity, and he thrived in the midst of terrible circumstances over and over again. And we don't have time to get into the details of that, but I think, I think you know most of those details. You can go back starting in Genesis chapter 37 and, and start to read from there and see how God used Joseph. He was a hero in Egypt. God used Joseph to, to help save a generation of people in Egypt and, and surrounding area from a famine. And through that process, Joseph's family actually comes to live with him in Egypt. And you fast forward to Exodus chapter 1 where we see that there were about 70 in Jacob's family, Joseph's father and Jacob's family, that were living in Egypt. Years pass and Joseph dies. And from this 70, God built a great nation of people within a few hundred years the Israelites would be over a million. And God had blessed them, and they grew, and, and his hand was on him. And while this is happening, a new king or a new pharaoh rises up in Egypt. And he either didn't know, or I would probably say refused to acknowledge the history with Joseph and his heroics. And the new pharaoh really wasn't concerned with the greatness of the past of how God had used Joseph or this, this group of people. But instead, now he saw the Israelites, the Hebrew people, in Egypt as a threat. They were growing numerically, and he saw that as a threat, a threat that they maybe militarily would want to take over, that maybe a, an enemy from the outside would come in, and that the Hebrew people from the inside would join forces with the enemy from the outside, and they might try and take over. And so the Pharaoh saw the Hebrew people as a great threat. And so you probably know the story. The first thing he does to try and slow down their growth is he basically just enforces hard physical labor upon them. He had them build cities for him. He made them work really hard. And instead of slowing down their growth, it seems they just kept multiplying and kept growing. And so instead of uh, just having them work hard, the next step was he upped his game and he made them his slaves. And instead of them being in slavery to him, instead of that slowing down their growth, this just continued to expand how God was multiplying and using and growing the Hebrew people. And so Pharaoh's plans were not working and so he had to take it to a much more extreme level. And if you remember the story, he informs all the Hebrew midwives that any 
Hebrew baby, male boy that is born is to be killed. Now, thankfully, the Hebrew midwives feared God more than they feared man, and so they just refused to do it. And if, you're, uh, if you kind of go back and, and look at uh, chapter 1 in, in uh, Exodus, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 17, it says, But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. And it reminds me of a quote I heard from a, a pastor friend of mine one time who said, fear God, not man, and what to do gets very clear very quickly. Right? When you fear God over man, and when you choose to obey God over man, it really isn't as hard to decide what to do, is it? It becomes difficult when we become, as I have a tendency to be many times, a people pleaser. And instead of wanting to please God, I want to please people around me. And that's when I get into trouble. And so, maybe you've heard the statement, desperate times call for desperate measures. Pharaoh was desperate, and so now he instructs all the people in the land that any time a Hebrew male baby boy is born, that they're to be thrown in the Nile River. And that leads us up, and that kind of gives you the background, and I'm sure most of you knew that, but just so you have the setting of what we're about to read and look at for the next few minutes this morning, that brings us up to speed with where we are and all the way, kind of what we just covered is in Exodus chapter 1. Now as we move on to Exodus chapter 2, would you stand with me as we read Exodus chapter 2 this morning, starting in verse 1. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to a wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could not longer hide him, she took him for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags by the river bank. And his child and his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done with him. Verse 5. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along the, by the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call thee a nurse? of Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child, woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses, and she said, Because I drew him out of the water. Thank you. You may be seated. Can we just pray this morning together? Lord, as we take a few minutes and just gleam some principles this morning that I think are valuable for us today, several thousand years later, us relevant for us today. Lord, may your word penetrate our hearts. May the spirit of God guide our thoughts. In your word this morning, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, you're familiar, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with this very popular story. It's something you probably learned as a child in Sunday school. You probably had the flannel graph of the little baby Moses in the little basket amongst the reeds. I'm sure you're very familiar, but I want us to just glean three principles this morning in this passage that as we look at and talk about this concept this morning of hope in the midst of chaos. We've been living in a chaotic world. Whether it's the stock market, gas prices, it's COVID, or whatever it is over the last few years, we live in a world of chaos. Three principles this morning, and then we'll be done. The first principle is this. In the midst of chaos, God raises up people. In the midst of chaos, God raises up people. So in Egypt, there's this Israelite couple, this Hebrew couple, Amram and Jochebed, and Jochebed gives birth to a baby boy. And this couple already has two other children, an older daughter and a, and a three-year-old son. And when the time, the time that they are called on to deliver, that she's called on to deliver this baby boy, is the time when all Hebrew boys are to be thrown into the Nile River. Verse 2 tells us that Moses' mother, Saul, and you see the words there, that he was a goodly child or a beautiful child. Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, verse 20, adds that he was extremely fair. Now, we don't know for sure, but God likely had somehow communicated to Moses' parents that there was something special about this child. I don't think this is just about the physical beauty of a child. I think that this is something that God had impressed upon his parents, that they knew that God had a special plan for this little boy. Because let's just be really honest, when babies are born, they're really not that beautiful, are they? Now, you think your own children are. I know we all do. But as you look back, when they're born, they're, they're really not that beautiful. Actually, it's kind of ironic. They look a little bit more like me now, many of them. All, all my child, children were born bald. Um, and I was born bald, and I returned to that eventually. And my son hopes that he's going to break the curse of our family and keep his full head of hair. But the reality is this wasn't, I don't believe, about the physical looks of a baby. But this is about how God had impressed upon them that he might do something special with this baby. And so, however it happened, they knew they needed to protect this baby because God had his hand on him. And I want you to realize that when they chose to hide this baby, and I keep saying this baby because you realize that Moses actually didn't have his name Moses until they return him, and we'll see this later, until she returns him to the palace. And so they take this baby boy and they, they hide him and they keep him, but they're not just risking this baby's life, but they may be risking their own life by hiding this child and maybe their other children's lives as well by disobeying the command of Pharaoh. Now, I don't know about you, but Moses must have been an extraordinary baby because I couldn't have hidden my child for 30 minutes, let alone three months. My children, my wife calls me a loud mouth. She means that affectionately. When I'm on the phone with people, she says, would you stop yelling at them? Some of you maybe think I'm yelling at you right now. This is how I talk all the time. When I was talking to Scott this morning about the microphone, he said, you project well. 
And I said, actually, you could just say it nicely like my wife does. You're a loudmouth, right? Maybe you don't even need a microphone. Well, my kids took after me when they were children. They were very loud criers. I don't know how they hid Moses for three months, but that's the protection of the Lord. But there did eventually come a moment where they could no longer hide him. And I think it's important for all of us to understand this morning as as Jochebed, she saw this baby boy and she knew that God had something special planned for him. Can I just remind us that God has something special planned for all of us, for every one of you and me. And if you're still on this earth, that means he's not done with you, right? And whatever phase of life you're in right now, whether that's early or later, God's not done with you if you're still here. And he has a plan for you. And I think about it in, in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. You know, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. The Lord had a plan for Jeremiah, and he has a plan for every one of us as well. It is not an accident that we are here even today, but God has a plan. And the plan that God had for Moses meant that he had to be protected. Well, if he had to be protected, why did God have the plan that he would be born during a time when all Hebrew male babies would be killed? Isn't that amazing to think about? I mean, there would have been a lot easier times for Moses to be born rather than this time. But they had to hide this baby for three months, and, and they were able to do that. And before we move on to the second principle, I want you to think about the world that we live in today. Things seem out of control in so many ways. However, it's important to realize that many times throughout history, it is the times of chaos that God chooses to raise up people to do great works for himself. It is many times in the chaos. It's not in times of calm, but it's in times of chaos. So if you look at this crazy world today and say, I'm just going to hide out here. No, I believe this is the time that God calls us to move. This is the time that God calls us to be active. It's in the midst of that chaos. He chose a time when all Hebrew babies, male babies were being born to raise up Moses. And we know that God doesn't, God doesn't operate this way, but can you just entertain me for just a minute? Can you imagine the planning meeting in heaven when God the Father is at the head of the table and he says, okay, I'm going to raise up the, the man who will one day lead my people out of captivity, and I'm going to choose to raise him up right at this time. And somebody else around the table says, excuse me, God, I know you're all knowing, but you do know that you're choosing to have him be born at a time when all male Hebrew babies are to be thrown in the Nile River. <laughs> yes, I know that. I, I know that. And somebody else says, well, God, that's like, that's not economically the best way to do this. Can we think about a different plan? And, and God says, no, this is, this is my plan, and this is the way I'm going to do it. Because when it happens, who's going to receive the glory? God's going to receive the glory for that. And so in the midst of chaos... God raises up people. Second principle this morning is this. When hope can be found nowhere else, God provides a way. We're going to look at this one just quickly, but when hope can be found nowhere else, God provides a way. Throughout human history, God has always provided a way. When they could no longer hide him, 
Jochebed makes a basket out of bulrushes and and she covers it in this pitch and waterproofs it and puts him amongst the reeds in the, in the river. And I want you to think of the irony of this because the command was that every male Hebrew baby be thrown into the Nile. And what does, what does, she, what does, does Jochebed do? She puts Moses in the Nile, right? She just puts him in a little, little basket first and then, then puts him in the Nile. And the, actually, the word used here is the word ark, and that's the Hebrew word teba. And it's only used one other time for one other circumstance in the Old Testament. And I think you know what that is when Noah built the ark. And so the first time it was used for the salvation, literally, of humanity, physically the salvation of humanity. And this time, God uses this word, and it'll lead to the eventual uh, salvation you would say physically from slavery of God's people and she places the basket amongst the reeds and Miriam the baby's older sister follows along watches at a distance because God had a plan and Moses's family was the one that was carrying out his plan he was providing the way so when hope can be found nowhere else God provides a way Let's look at the third and final principle this morning. Third principle is this. When we are blessed with a gift, God requires stewardship. When we are blessed with a gift, God requires stewardship. So meanwhile, in the story, Pharaoh's daughter comes down to bathe in the river, and she sees the ark or the basket among the reeds, and she sends one of her servants to recover it and discovers this is a little Hebrew baby boy, and he must have done this cute little cry because she had compassion on this little baby. And all in God's plan and God's sovereignty, Miriam comes and says, would you like for me to find a Hebrew woman to nurse this child for you? And isn't it just in kind of the sense of humor of God that Moses' mother actually gets to spend this time with her, and what? She gets paid for it. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? She doesn't just get to have this time with Moses and nurse him and, and raise him, but, but she actually gets paid to do it. I just find that amusing. And there comes a time when the child is older and Jochebed returns him to the palace, and we don't know exactly what age that is, and I've read anywhere from 2 years old to 12 years old. I tend to think a little bit on the older side, but I really don't know. But whatever it age it was, I can imagine as, as Jochebed nursed this baby and, and he started to grow that, that she would pray for him and, and she would make statements to him like, God is going to use you. God has a, a special plan for your life. You are a special boy. God, God has something big planned for you. And she would tell him of the story of, of how God spared his life and I imagine she told him that story. Whether he was old enough to comprehend it completely, I imagine she told him that story over and over again so that when the time came for Moses to be returned to the palace that he had planted in his heart and in his mind that God had a plan and and had had a path for him. And this morning we see that how God put Moses in the position he was in to prepare him to do what he was going to do. And so Pharaoh's daughter names him Moses, which means I drew him out 
of the water. And when I think about this, you know what I think about? Moses' mother, Jochebed, was a steward of Moses. I don't know about you, but one of the hardest things to do with many of the things in our life, whether it's material, physical possessions, whether it's finances, or whether it's our own children or our own family, one of the hardest things to do is to hold on to them with an open hand. You see, because God gives us our children, but He doesn't give us children, He doesn't give us family, or He doesn't even give us opportunities or money or or resources or whatever He's blessed you with. He doesn't give them to us so that we clamp onto them with a closed fist and hold on to them as, as tight as we can, but He gives them to us with an, so that we might have them with an open hand, taking care of them for the time that God has given them to us. If it's finances, it's being the best steward you can with your money, but always having an open hand and ready to give where God wants you to give. If it's material possessions, the same thing, especially if it's our children or if it's our family. So I remember when we first came into ministry and We've been in, with Word of Life for 25 years now. We didn't have children, and, but when we first started having children over 20 years ago now, my first boss, my regional coordinator, Don and Joan Kinzer, who lived right here in Winston-Salem, they made a statement to us, to my wife and I. They said, Brian and Lynn, we did not, we did not raise our children to keep them close to us when they grew up. If they choose to stay close to us, physically, meaning geographically, if they choose to stay close to us, great and fine. But we raise them to send them out. They are arrows in our quiver that God is preparing that we will one day launch out. But what I'm afraid of is we have way too many helicopter parents today and helicopter grandparents. And I'm sorry if I'm stepping on some toes here, but we don't want to let them out of our grasp. But God says, raise them up so that I might send them out. And can I just tell you, if we try and cling to them too tight, it's just going to lead to frustration for us, and it's going to lead to frustration for our children and our grandchildren. Can we have and, and allow our hands to be open with everything that God has given us? If you were to watch Moses' life and fast forward and you know the story and really you can break down Moses' life in 40 years segments, right? Uh, The first, you know, the first 40 years uh, up to the point we're reading now, he's in the palace and in Egypt and then uh, the next 40 years he goes and and, uh, uh, flees from Egypt and then he becomes a shepherd and the final 40 years he returns to lead his people, God's people out of captivity. And if we look at his Life. I think there are many words that t- could describe Moses' life. Here are a few that I jotted down. Beautiful, right? It said it right here in Exodus chapter 2. Undeserving. Blessed. Spoiled. I put spoiled in there because he grew up in the palace. I imagine he had about anything he wanted, right? Murderer. You remember the story of him killing uh, the Egyptian? Coward. Bold, disobedient, faithful. And you hear those words and you say, Brian, how is it that all of those words 
that seem to contradict one another, how is it that they describe the same person? Well, that's kind of where we started this morning when you remember this. There's a lot of contradictions in these words, and how can these words describe the same person? Well, that's because Moses was a normal person just like you and I, who was placed in some extraordinary circumstances. And Moses' story is very common to other people's story in one particular way, and it's how we started our message this morning, and that is that Moses' story doesn't begin with Moses, it begins with God, right? You see, the whole time, and the whole time I was studying, and all the messages that I developed, the thing that just kept kept coming back to me about Moses' life is this is not about Moses at all. And where we get in trouble is when we start thinking about that our life is really about us. It's not about us at all. It's about God and His glory. Esther questioned how she could make a difference, and Mordecai reminded her that God is going to accomplish His work in Esther 4.14. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. Listen. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You know what Mordecai was saying to Esther? You don't have to do this. God will raise up another way. But just maybe he's put you here for such a time as this. God doesn't make mistakes. The prophet Jeremiah was writing to the Jews who were exiled from Jerusalem and Babylon in Jeremiah 29, 11, when he says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. In Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. It is God who works all things together for good. It is not me or it is not you. It is God. So what does this mean? Three thoughts as we start to wrap up. If circumstances in your life are stacked against you, primarily because of what other people have done to you or around you, then you're in the right place today. Because God does not waste pain. He doesn't waste suffering. He did not in Moses' life, and if you allow him to do his work, he will not in your life. If the plans of your life to this point are full of chaos or destruction because of the mess that you have made, because of the mistakes you have made, the sin that you have committed, then you're in the right place today as well because it is God who brings chaos into order. He did so in Moses' life, and he can do the same in your life. And if your life seems pretty good right now, and you're comfortable, and you're cruising along, and everything seems to be in order, and you don't have too much of a care in this world, then you're in the right place right now as well. You've got a great group of friends, your family is okay, and life is kind of on cruise control. Well, can I just say that God may just be calling you out of your comfort zone and may want to be asking you to turn your world upside down for Jesus Christ. You see, it's the same God who called Moses out of his comfort zone at the burning bush to lead his people home. It's the same God who may call you out of your comfort zone to reach a people, whether they're across the street or around the world. You see, at different points in Moses' life, he lived out each of those three scenarios I just read for you. He, 
He was in situations that were not his doing. He was in situations that were his doing. And there did come a time when God calls him out of his comfort zone to do what he had called him to do. Because listen to me, there is one definite thing that we have in common, and that is this, that my story and your story doesn't begin with you. Your story begins with God as well. In Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, Brian. In the beginning, God. And one of the things we discover in the Bible is that true greatness does not revolve around the people that God uses. It revolves around God himself. It is not that God looks down and sees someone with great potential and says, oh, that person has so much talent and so much ability, I can use them. That wasn't the story of Moses' life. When he called Moses, what was Moses' excuse? God, I can't go. I can barely talk. I'll stutter or whatever it is. I, I can't go and, and call my people out of Egypt. You see, it's never been about us. It's always been about God. True greatness doesn't revolve around the people that God uses, but around God himself. In the summer of 1872 in Ireland, the evangelist D.L. Moody and Henry Varley were out walking the grounds after an all-night prayer meeting. And Varley made a brief statement that Moody later recorded in one of his diaries. This is what Varley said. He said, The world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. Moody went on in his journal to say, A man. Varley meant any man. Varley didn't say he had to be educated or brilliant or anything else. Just a man. Well, by the Holy Spirit in me, I'll be that man. While in London, the combination of Varley's statement and the preaching of the great C.H. Spurgeon, Moody focused, Moody focused his attention on, as he says, something I had never realized before. It was not Spurgeon who was doing the work. It was God. And if God could use Spurgeon, why should he not use me? 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, But as, as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. It is not about us. Aren't you glad? Are, is anybody else here glad that it's not about you? Does anybody else here ever feel completely inadequate? You see, 10 months ago, God called me out of my comfort zone. He called me to take a new role in the, in the ministry of Word of Life that called me completely out of my comfort zone. And as I talked to God, God about it, and as the first several days of praying, I was saying no to God. God was saying yes to me. And you know who won that battle? All I kept going back to was Moses. And I would make statements, but God, I'm not talented enough. People won't follow me like that, God. And God just kept saying, boy, that sounds like somebody I know. You see, it was no accident that you studied Exodus and the, and the life of Moses because I just needed to remind you that this is not about you at all. This is about me, he said. And Moses is one of the most well-known people in the Old Testament, and yet it almost ended before it began, didn't it? He shouldn't have even survived the first days of his life. 
And so where are you at in your journey with the Lord? Is God calling you to do something that you have either been saying no to or putting off because of circumstances? Remember, it is God who provides the way. Are you being a good steward of the gifts, talents, ability, resources, children, whatever it is that God has entrusted to you? Don't let the circumstances of life, don't let the chaos be an excuse to say no to what God is calling you to do. Can we pray together this morning? Lord, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness. Lord Moses, you raised him up at a time that none of us would have chosen to raise him up, but you knew. And because of it, you received the glory. And Lord, we're living in a time that doesn't seem reasonable to step out in faith and do something. It doesn't seem reasonable right now to be exceptionally generous with our finances because who knows what tomorrow brings in the stock market. It doesn't seem reasonable to go across the world right now to a people that you've called us to because who knows what could happen in this crazy world that we live in today. But you're not a God who's about the reasonable. You're a God who's about the extraordinary and you want to do great and mighty things. So Lord, if you're calling anyone here today, I just pray you would work in their heart and remind them that our story doesn't begin with us, God. It begins with you. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.